Welcome to the Awaken Life Church podcast. For more information about our church, please visit awakenlifechurch.net. We hope you enjoy this message by Joy Willette. Awesome. God's good. Amen. He's so good. (laughs) He's so good. He's so loving. He's amazing. He's the best father ever. Amen. And uh, we're just immersed in his love and his glory today. And man, God is so good. (laughs) He is so good. He's so loving. He's so kind. He's made a way for us. Like he's, he's, made the pathway for success for us, and there is not a thing that we're lacking in him. Amen? There's not a thing that we're lacking. There's not, there's not any want in him. There's not any want in the kingdom. Amen? So today, we are going to talk about healthy sexuality, and it's really important that we talk about these things in church. Why is it important? This is church. How can we talk about things like that? Guess what? The world is talking about it. Sex belongs to God. It was invented by God, and uh, we need to start talking about it because it's really, really important that we understand what our loving Father intends for us. Amen? So with that, um, we are going to be casting vision this morning. We're going to be talking more about this next Sunday. And on that following Wednesday night, it's going to be a special focus for married people and for adult singles on that Wednesday night. We're going to get more a little uh, nitty-gritty and uh, really getting set free from some things and stuff like that. So really uh, make a plan. Put that in your calendar to be there. You don't want to miss that. Um, But also, we are going to be doing some Q&A both next Sunday. Sunday, but also on that following Wednesday. So what we've done is there should be a a piece of paper. It's like a prayer request card in your seat back in front of you. And we would love as many questions as you could possibly ask. You can either fill that out and put it in the offering box, which is attached to the sound booth back there. Or if we could put the number up on the screen for Superphone, um, you can text your questions to Superphone. Um, But I know that there's questions, especially when it comes to sexuality and God and, and all those things. Um, So uh, please um, ask those questions, and we're going to be really excited to answer those. And of course, we're going to keep it age-appropriate for next Sunday, and then maybe a little more nitty-gritty on that Wednesday. So this is vision casting, okay? Um, This is uh, laying a foundation today. None of this is meant to bring shame or condemnation. Amen? Somebody say, shame is my enemy. Shame is what keeps us in bondage and out of the presence of God. So there is no shame for anybody in this room today. Amen? Amen. This message is going to be a factory reset. So what we're doing is we're going to talk about the real thing. You know how when you handle real money all day and you handle real money and you handle real money, you start to recognize the counterfeit, right? So we're going to talk about the real thing. So if we can put up on the screens, Genesis 1.1. Everybody should know this scripture, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So in the beginning, God. Someone say, in the beginning, God. He is the creator. He is our source. He is everything. And we need to make sure that we keep him in the position that he's meant to be in. And knowing that he's a loving father, knowing that he's good, knowing that he has immense love for us, keep him in that position of understanding he created everything that we know, everything that we see, he's the creator, amen? 
So Jesus, we just thank you so much, God, for who you are, Lord. I ask for your anointing without measure, God, to be upon uh, this word, upon my, my, the message, upon uh, every ear and heart and mind and uh, soul and spirit. I bless everyone's spirits to rise up right now and to be one with you, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would speak to hearts, and we just thank you so much for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, let's put up the next scripture, Genesis 1, 26 to 28. So we're going back to the beginning to see what God intended, okay? Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the ears. Is that really over all the ears? <laughs> and over all the, and, and every, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. <laughs> there we go. Oh, there we go. God created man in his own image. Filled the earth. There we go. Be fruit. <laughs> I'm all thrown off now. Somebody pray for me. <laughs> Let's just try reading it again. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, um, awesome. So, we were created in his image, okay, male and female. So when you see male and female together, that is the representation of who God is. Amen? Not male alone, not female alone, male and female. That was what God said. This is my image. This is what I look like. This is what I'm like. Does this make sense? Furthermore, we were created to rule and reign on the earth. We were created to rule and reign over every created thing and over creation itself. Amen? So when we talk about what Jesus did on the cross, what Jesus did in, on the cross didn't uh, accomplish, we can just like wink at sin and get by and make it to heaven. It actually was a factory reset back to what was intended in the first place, where we get to rule and reign and take dominion. Does this make sense? So we want to get to that place where we are ruling and reigning and taking dominion. Okay. Uh, the first command that was given to man after God created him, be fruitful and multiply. What is this referring to? <laughs> Somebody said gardening. <laughs> the first command given to the male and female is be fruitful and multiply. What is this referring to? <laughs> yes, we can say that in church. Uh, let's look up Genesis 2, 21 to 25. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman. Don't you guys love that God fashioned woman? This is why we love fashion. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, whoa, man, because she was taken out of man. For this reason, he begins to prophesy, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Somebody say naked and not ashamed. 
Awesome. So what you see is God actually separates them into two beings, okay? Originally, it was all one, right? That was human. And then he pulled the woman out of the man, and now they are separate. The second they are separated, notice what Adam says. I want to be rejoined. Does this make sense? Uh, it's like we're, we're pulled apart and we're separate. Oh my gosh, I'm going to prophesy. I'm going to leave my father and my mother to be joined to this woman again. There's this drive for them to be back together again. Does this make sense? Okay. So he prophesies about sex. He prophesies about being one flesh, but it is under the covenant of I'm going to leave everything behind. I'm going to sacrifice so that there's safety in this covenant. Does this make sense? Okay. So man and woman were one in the beginning, body, soul, and spirit, and then God separates them into two. What kind of glue does it take to put them back together again? Body, soul, and spirit. <laughs> Everyone's afraid to say it in church. This is church. Okay. What kind of glue does it take to put them back together again? Body, soul, and spirit. Sex. Under the covenant of leaving everything behind and fully giving yourself to the other person in a forever covenant. Does this make sense? Okay. God created sex. He actually commanded this married couple to engage in it. Sex is blessed by God and anointed by God in the safety of a marriage covenant. Sex existed before sin. Sex is sacred. It's holy. It's pure. It belongs to God. It is the enemy who perverts and creates pain through it. Okay? Now, I'm very aware that there is just percentage-wise, there are many people in this room that have experienced tons of pain, abuse, trauma, and stuff in this area. Again, none of this is meant to cause any shame whatsoever. But we're doing a factory reset and taking a look at what did God intend through this? Because when he invented this, it was a beautiful, pure, and holy gift to mankind. Amen? Okay. The Bible has over 200 verses about sexual intimacy, and there's an entire book about marital love called The Song of Solomon, and guess what? It is not rated PG. It was God's idea to give married couples a gift that is amazing, deeply connecting, fun, euphoric, powerful, bonding, and that drives them back together in unity as one flesh again and again in such a way that it is covenant reinforcing and even so powerful that it is life creating. It's a really powerful thing that God created, and it's an amazing thing that God created. Amen? Amen. And yet, what do we typically hear about sex in many cases when we're younger? It's sin. Your parts are sinful. You can get a disease. You can get pregnant. Don't do it. You can't talk about it. It's dirty. It's shameful. It's wrong. It's associated with the devil. So save it for your husband. <laughs> and then we wonder why sometimes people have a hard time. Amen? It's wrong, it's dirty, it's shameful. Something is wrong with you that you want to do that. So save that for your wife. There's a mixed message in there, okay? All right. 
So let's go back to the beginning again. So we know that God told Adam and Eve not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, there's one tree that I don't want you to eat from, and that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So let's look at what happens in Genesis 3, 4 to 6. They had one job. <laughs> Genesis 3, 4 to 6. Do we have that one? Oh, we don't. Sorry. Okay. I probably didn't include that one. Uh, Genesis 3, 4 to 6. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and, and he ate. So what was the original lie that she believed? The orig well, one of the lies that she believed is we already know God created them in his image. She already was like God. Amen. So the enemy tries to stir up this question, if you want to be like God, you have to X, Y, Z, when the truth is she already was like God. Amen? What's the other lie that she believed from the beginning? God is holding out on you. There is satisfaction outside of what God has provided for you. God is actually not a good source for you. You need to become your own source. Does this make sense? It's a question of source. When they ate from the fruit, it wasn't, oh my gosh, they did something wrong. It's that they ate the fruit and they took on lenses that they now look around at the world. And it's a lens of performance. It's a lens of what I think is right and what I think is wrong. I am my own source now. Does this make sense? This is why God didn't want them to eat from that, that fruit. All right. So the devil lies to us and says, become your own source. You will find even greater fulfillment and wisdom than he could give you. Meet your desires and gain wisdom outside of God is what the devil lies. Okay? And then do we have Genesis 3, 7 to 8? Okay. Yeah, let's put that one up. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the very first attack on human beings and on this married couple when sin came in is that sex and shame got tied together. That was the very first attack. They covered their loins, their sexual organs. This is bad. Remember, prior, God's intention is that they were naked and that they were unashamed. Now, all of a sudden, they're hiding from the presence of God. They don't want to be present with God. They don't want to be present with each other. And sex and shame got tied up together. Someone say, shame is my enemy. Mm-hmm. They became their own source using the knowledge of good and evil, and now the things that they were supposed to rule over are now ruling over them. Does this make sense? Okay. So let's put up this scripture. Um, this is a really cool scripture. Um, I think sometimes we pass by it and we might miss it. Um, Romans 1.20, and this is in the Amplified. 
For ever since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through his workmanship, all his creation, the wonderful things that he has made, so that they who fail to believe and trust in him are without excuse and without defense." So what is that saying? Basically what this is saying is the invisible nature of God is demonstrated in the visible creation. What does that mean? God takes creation and says, look at this, this is what I'm like. Make sense? So like we wouldn't understand how big God was if it weren't for the fact that we go up to Utah and we go to Mount Zion and we look at these ginormous mountains and we're like, oh my gosh, look at how big that mountain is. It's amazing. God made that. God is huge, right? Or we look at like the, the tiny little, you know, ants and like the, the microscopic bacteria and DNA and things. And we're like, oh my gosh, God is so detailed and so intricate and so amazing. Or we look at a vast ocean and we're like, look at how deep God is. Look at how, like we can't even find the bottom of the ocean to explore it. And when God says, I put sin down at the bottom of the ocean, never to be remembered again. It's like, we have a picture for that. Oh my gosh, it's unsearchable. Look at how deep God is, right? Or we look at planets, right? And we're like, wow, the earth is pretty big. I don't know if you've ever seen some of like the demonstrations where it shows us that even our sun, which is massively larger than any of the planets in our solar system, but actually the sun dwarfs it in comparison to some of the stars that we even know about. It's beyond human understanding how large they are. And then you go and look at the word and the word says, God breathed out the planets. How massive, how huge, how majestic is God. Does this make sense? So what he's saying in Romans 1.20 is I love to take pictures that I've created in creation and show you this is what I'm like. Okay? Let's look at Ephesians 5.31-32. Ephesians 5.31-32. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So what is God's favorite picture in creation to represent himself and the church? Yes. <laughs> Come on, boldness. <laughs> yes. A, a man and his wife in forever blood covenant and they are joined together as one flesh. And he says, look, this is what I'm like. This is how I feel about my church. Forever covenant. Do you know we're all heading to a wedding? You know that? Like that's the end of the book, right? Okay? We're heading to a wedding feast. It's the bridegroom and the bride. We're the bride. We're the church. Amen? The reason that he even created marriage and sex and the way it even makes sense to our brains is because of where we're headed, because he's saying something through it. He's preaching the gospel through it. Does this make sense? Someone say, we're heading to a wedding. <laughs> heading to a wedding. All right. Isaiah 62, 5 says, For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. How does a bridegroom feel over his new bride? 
Oh my gosh, I can't wait to be with her. I think about her constantly. There's this passion, there's this zeal, there's this fire. And God says, this is what I'm like and this is how I feel about you. And it's holy and it's pure because God does not have impure thoughts. Amen. And that's God's favorite picture to say, this is what I'm like. Why do you think the enemy twists and perverts it and causes pain through it so much? All right. The creation of sex tells the story of a loving God. He says, you guys are going to love this. God gave it to you, not the devil. We're taking sex back today. It is a kingdom thing. Amen. So I want you to imagine a world where there is no pornography, there's no premarital sex, there's no affairs, there's no prostitution, there's no one-night stands, there's no hookup websites, there's no self-gratification, there's no lustful thoughts. The only sexual outlet for human beings is marriage. What would our world look like? Everybody would be married. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> Survey says <laughs> number one answer. <laughs> a whole lot more people would be married, and a whole lot more people would marry a little younger. Mm-hmm. Yep, a lot more babies. <laughs> right? Okay. I propose to you that that is actually God's thought. I know it's countercultural but I propose to you that that's actually closer to what God intended than what we're seeing, okay? A whole lot more people would be married, and probably sooner, they would also have a high motivation for working things out, for getting counseling, for praying over one another when their marriage is going through tough times because there is not another outlet. Do you see why God gave them the gift of sex? Okay? Sex and marriage cannot be separated. They were never meant to be two separate things. Sex was only supposed to happen with the full surrender of leaving behind your father and your mother and fully giving yourself to one person in covenant. Marriage is not even considered valid until consummation has taken place. So biblically, there is no grounds whatsoever for separating sex from marriage. Why? Because God loves you because he designed it to be so powerful that it can only be contained and fully deeply satisfying with a forever blood covenant that represents his forever blood covenant with us. Amen? No shame on you. But we're going back to the factory reset of what God intended. Amen? Okay. Sex is powerful, it is a supernatural act. It is a marriage every single time, uniting body, soul, and spirit, and merging them together with somebody else supernaturally, okay? So outside of covenant, that interaction still takes place every time you engage in sexual things. There is a merging together of body, soul, and spirit. And that happens when you engage in anything sexual, including pornography and things. You are becoming bonded, body, soul, and spirit to something. Okay? So this is not just about consequences in the natural. Sex is a supernatural act. 1 Corinthians 6 says you join physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually in sex. So this is where you could get a disease doesn't even cover it. 
okay? Because there's no condom in the world that's gonna stop the mental and emotional exchange that takes place every time there's a sexual encounter. Amen? There's no pill that you can take to stop the spiritual exchange and mixing that takes place every time there's a sexual encounter. It kind of takes safe sex off the table. Amen? I'm saying this because I love you. <laughs> Amen. Okay? Let's talk about soul ties. Soul ties were created by God to tie together a man and a woman's souls in a marriage covenant. So there's this mixing, body, soul, and spirit. Emotions, mind, everything gets mixed together, okay? That soul tie is what strengthens that bond and helps draw them back together. It's a tie in the spirit. It's not just about biochemical brain chemistry and things like that. There is a tie that takes place in the spirit, okay? Outside of marriage, ungodly soul ties form and when you tie yourself to a person and another person and another person and another person and another person, do you understand that that's going to start to bring bondage into your life? That you're mixing body, soul, and spirit and like whatever that person has going on spiritually, whatever that person has going on emotionally, mentally, you are mixing with that person and there's, there's person after person after person that I've ministered to that's like, why? I've, I've been depressed, and I just like, I've, I've had suicidal thoughts and things like that, and it's like, oh man, when did that first start? And then, lo and behold, you know, there was some type of sexual encounter. It's like, well, yeah, that person struggled with that, and, and then they picked it up, okay? And it's, it's really interesting, because when you, when you operate in deliverance, and you pray for people, and you break those ungodly soul ties, it's interesting how often that person will get text by that person the very second we break that soul tie. Because something in the spirit says, whoa, like, why, why am I thinking of this person? I want, I want that thing back. A lot of the time that takes place. But do you see how it's, it becomes bondage when we're not soul tying the way God created us to? Amen? All right. This is some grown-up talk. <laughs> All right. Our souls were not designed to, to tie up sexually with multiple people, and they were not designed to tie up sexually with someone of the same sex. I'm saying this because I love you, okay? These ties twist people up in bondage, and then these bondages are reinforced with spirits of perversion and torment. So this is where when people say, well, why, why can't people just love who they want to love? You know, don't be hateful. It's like, well, it's actually not loving to look at someone putting themselves in bondage over and over and over again, tormented by spirits that are reinforcing those bonds that were not meant to be put there in the first place and tell them, that's a good thing that you're doing. You continue to do that. It's actually not truthful. It's actually not loving, okay? It's not hateful. Like, we don't, we don't need to go, you know, but it's also not loving to not speak the truth. Does this make sense? All right. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20 says, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. 
Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body, okay? So what happens in sexual sin is that we actually become at war with our own selves. You're at war with your own body. You're at war with your own soul. You're at war with your own spirit because your spirit knows Does this make sense? Your body knows what it was designed for. And when you're connecting with someone in that deepest level without covenant, your soul knows and it's getting twisted and tormented. And then when those bonds are broken, it's devastating. Does this make sense? You become at war with yourself. And so then what happens is you start to dissociate from your own body in order to keep functioning like that. Now, what does it mean to be a, a healthy sexual person? That's going to be a person that's not walking in shame or condemnation about their sexual history, about sex in general, about their body parts. There's no shame. There's no condemnation. But they're also capable of being fully present and unified, body, soul, and spirit, so that they can fully give themselves to another person without dissociating or divorcing a part of themselves. Does this make sense? Do you understand how that would be a much more healthy relationship in the context of marriage if you could fully give yourself over body, soul, and spirit without dissociating from some piece of yourself? Does this make sense? That's where we're heading, okay? You guys okay? (laughs) So God tells us about his nature through everything he created. Guess what? He created us. Your bodies are not biological. They are theological, Someone say, my body is theological. Mm -hmm. The female body tells a story of receiving. The male body tells a story of giving. So when the marriage is first consummated as God intended it, the female body tells a story of the shedding of blood that they make a forever blood covenant. Okay? For those of you that know what I'm talking about, there's a body part called a hymen. It's only function is for a blood covenant. There is no other medical reason, value. It is so that there is a blood covenant that takes place with the consummation of marriage. Okay? Again, no shame on you. This is the factory reset of what God intended. Okay? This is a picture of the bride, a.k.a. the church, receiving Christ through a blood covenant where he produces in us new life. Do you see the picture that he's painting? In the beginning, the woman was in man. We are in him. He is in us, and we are one in Christ. Do you see what he's saying through creation? What story is he telling? Okay. It takes a man and a woman to represent the nature of God. There is an identity message in this. That's part of why it feels so powerful and why it starts to mess with people's identities, okay? Sex is the reunion of the original way you were created. Everything that is male unites with everything that is female, and that union theologically tells us what God is like and thus who we are. Does this make sense? So there's this powerful identity message in that. But that identity message gets tangled and perverted. So then rather than getting our identity from our creator, we start to try and get our identity from the creation, which is sex. 
and just like, man, I'm trying to get identity from sex. So I'm going to identify with the things that I desire or the people that are attracted to me, or I'm going to decide that I'm worthy of love by how many people want to engage in this with me. I'm going to decide how powerful I am as if a woman wants to do this with me. I'm going to decide if I am uh, worthy of pursuit if someone wants to do this with me. And we start trying to get these identity questions answered from sex rather than from the creator of it. Does this make sense? And this is the demonic thing is that you will never answer that question in sex. Not even in married sex. That's a question that belongs to your creator. Right? So then what happens is you try to answer that question over and over and over and you become more and more dissatisfied because that's not what it's meant for. Amen? Again, no shame on you. Someone say, no shame on me. (laughs) All right. Sex is powerful. God designed chemicals to be released in our brains when we engage sexually. Hormonal responses designed in us. Somebody say oxytocin. Someone say dopamine. Woo. (laughs) Someone say vasopressin. Those are naturally occurring hormones that get activated whenever we engage sexually. Guess what? Those hormones are addictive. Why are they addictive? Because it's meant to hold a married couple captive to one another. Does this make sense? This is why it's such a powerful gift from God. Amen? Okay, so oxytocin, um, that's the bonding chemical. So it's like when a woman has a child and then she's snuggling or whatever, massive amounts of oxytocin gets released and it's this bonding thing. It's like, it's hard to explain. You're just like, oh, I would die for this creature. <laughs> it's just this overwhelming bonding love thing that happens and that's what gets released anytime there's a sexual encounter. It's this bonding thing that takes place, particularly in the woman and they, they theorize it's because it's mixed with estrogen, okay? Um, It accesses the reward pathway. It increases affection, and it affects conditioning and learning. Vasopressin, especially in men, this is pair bonding. It affects their sleep. It helps them to maintain boundaries of exclusivity in terms of, like, I want this person all to myself, Okay, that hormone present, they've even studied this in in voles, these little rodents or whatever. When they give them massive amounts of vasopressin, they'll like ferociously guard their mate. And when there's not high levels of this, they just step aside. They're like, I don't care, whatever. Okay, Uh, vasopressin, um, it affects the male's desire to participate in rearing of offspring. And it increases the protectiveness of his mate. Okay? These bonds are so powerful that there is a physiological, mental, and emotional distress that scientists have documented that happens when those bonds are broken. Um, there is also a love neural pathway, and that is a circuit that actually helps your body physiologically. When you are engaging in that love neural pathway, it's actually blessing your body. Okay? There is also a lust pathway. And that is a circuit that negatively affects your body. It increases depression and increases dissatisfaction. So it does matter how we choose to engage this thing. Amen? Okay. Let's talk about dopamine. There's a reason that drugs are called dope. <laughs> It hits the reward slash pleasure center of your brain. It increases your desire for more, and it is literally addictive. 
okay? This is why outside of marriage, it's a counterfeit and unsatisfying on a deep level because it feels like love. It feels like captivation, but it's fleeting and it's without covenant. It feels like life. It feels like power, but it actually brings pain, destruction, powerlessness, and more loneliness. These pair bonds were never meant to be broken, And yet it is fiercely addictive, just like any other empty high. So again, hormones are not biological, they are theological, okay? Hormones tell a story. Scientists will tell you that hormones tell a story, that that God's creation um, is in favor of monogamy, protection, legacy, child-rearing, and bonds that were not meant to be broken. Amen? Amen. So why does God give us a sex drive? Just to torment us. He just doesn't want us to have any fun. <laughs> I love it, that. Okay? Ha ha. <laughs> the sex drive tells the story of driving a couple back together into oneness. It also speaks of the bridegroom's desire to be joined to the church. It's a picture of his love, his devotion, and his passion toward us. Okay? Don't feel shame about having a sex drive. Shame off of you, okay? The goal is to learn to manage your appetite. Someone say, manage your appetite. Don't feel shame about having a sex drive. If you didn't have one, something would be wrong, okay? But we just need to learn to manage our appetite. Now, guess what? This is not just for singles, Okay? Sometimes we're sending the message that marriage is the finish line when it comes to purity and managing ourselves. Okay? Marriage does not solve sexual problems and temptations. Well, I won't need pornography when I'm married. Saying I do is not going to break that addiction for you. I promise you that. What you're doing is you're setting yourself up to not be able to fully engage and be fully satisfied in that holy covenant and in in sex, in marriage. It guarantees it that there will be uh, dissatisfaction, okay? Um, You're actually setting up your appetites and your brain chemistry to not be satisfied with your spouse. These addictions don't go away when you say, I do. You will always have to manage yourself and your appetites, whether it's hunger, thirst, or sexual appetites. Even in marriage, you have to manage yourself to one man or one woman. Amen? Okay. You have to manage your thought life. If you want to have a satisfying sex life, this is true. Are you going to heaven? Absolutely. But if you want to have kingdom on earth in your marriage and in your sex life, you're going to want to manage your thought life. Amen? You're going to need to manage your connection with your spouse. Amen? And this comes out of just choosing to be a powerful person, okay? Um, This is not just for results with your future spouse. There's actually no guarantee. Just because you wait for marriage doesn't mean, oh, no, automatically we're just going to have the best marriage ever and our sex life is going to be automatic. No, that's actually not true. But you get to decide what kind of person you want to be and how powerful you want to be. So I manage myself toward my husband. And yes, there's a part of that that is for him, but it's also because of my relationship with Jesus, because of my worship, because of the type of person that I want to be. I don't want to be tormented, and I want to have a deeply satisfying relationship with my husband in every way. Does that make sense? So it's a matter of deciding and being a powerful person. Um, I, love, I love in uh, Job 
if I can find it now, Job 31.1 says, I made a covenant with my own eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. And so we're just going to raise up and be powerful people. This is the amazing thing in a grace culture, that we're not being motivated by shame or the threat of hell in this, but we are being motivated by relationship and by his love and by what he wants for us. And it's actually more powerful when we're not doing this out of a threat of, of hell. Does this make sense? It's actually going to be that much more devoted. It's that much more of just like this pure and spotless bride because it's him that's cleansing us. Amen. Amen. All right. So God's vision for sex. The world perverts it, religion shames it, but God celebrates it. The world perverts it, religion shames it, God celebrates it. So God's vision is for us to walk in purity, for us to only ever engage sex with one person through a blood covenant, for us to go forth and be fruitful in the context of a loving, honoring, covenanted marriage where we feel safe and protected to give ourselves to one another freely, wholeheartedly, and enjoy a wonderful, pure, beautiful, holy, fun, wholesome, enjoyable, passionate, healthy sex life that is not defiled by perversion or haunted by impure images of things that are sinful or bring shame or comparison. Pure, completely connected, body, soul, and spirit, fully present, unashamed, always being satisfied with one another. In this unselfish love, there is a pinnacle of pleasure that is so sacred and powerful that it actually produces new life. That is God's vision for sex. That's what he created. Amen? Society is not uh, overdoing it with sex. It is underselling it. It is passing it off as this cheap thing. Pornography has nothing on the real thing. What God intended. Amen? Casual flings have nothing on the real thing. It's that quick dopamine hit, but it's empty. Amen? We have to battle for this, and marriage is not the finish line. We don't need to lower our standards. We, we need, actually need to cast more vision so that we have a powerful yes, so that young people have a powerful yes, so that we don't settle for less than God's best, especially in marriage. Amen? All right. Hebrews 13 says, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. Um, so here's an exhortation to marriages. We can't just congratulate ourselves for being married and call it a day. Amen. We can always go after more in this area. We want to see more of God's kingdom. We want to see more connection. We want to see more, like, uh, more real estate of Jesus where we're not walking in shame and hiding and fear and all these things. Because marriages with healthy sex lives and healthy kids, that's a city on a hill that speaks the gospel to the world. Amen? The world is going to get changed, I'm telling you, by healthy marriages and families. Amen? We, we have to fight the fight on both ends. We have to come over here and we have to defend what's trying to be taught in schools to our children because it isn't right and because it's not loving. Amen? We, we can't allow that to happen. But at the same time, we also can't be over here in our marriages and, and everything is broken and it looks just like everything else in the world because we have nothing to offer. So I'm encouraging us in our marriages, let's come up higher. Let's go after this thing even more. Amen? to really pursue connection, to really pursue the kingdom in that way as well. Amen?
deeply satisfying marriages. Come on. So we're going to break some lies today. Here's a lie. We're going to laugh at this, okay? Sex doesn't mean anything. It's just physical and there's no consequences. So just be safe because there's no problem. Ha, 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 ha. Marriage doesn't work anyway. Ha, 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 ha. No one can wait until marriage. That is antiquated. Ha, 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 ha. In this day and age, it is impossible to walk in purity or to save yourself from marriage. We need to lower our standards and be realistic. Ha, 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 ha. (laughs) Don't be naive. We're living in a grace culture. So that means we can continue to do what we want. Ha, 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 ha. There's a big question mark over the room as I say that one. Hmm. So we're living in a grace culture. So how does this work in that way? Because there is no shame on you. There is no shame on you. But here's what my, my amazing wisdom-filled friend Angela, this is how she put it, okay? There's, there's something um, that takes place when we look at the grace of God and we're like, look at what Jesus did. This is so amazing. So now I can continue in my habit of pornography and I'm going to call that God's grace. <laughs> I I would submit to you, yes, you're not going to hell, okay? But there's something that takes place when we start to call bondage freedom. You cannot call bondage freedom and say, Christ paid for you to do that. Amen? Amen. That is not what grace is for, so we can continue in those things. Now, if you're in bondage and you're in addiction and you're continuing in those things, there is no shame for you. There's help for you. There's kingdom for you. He has so much grace and understanding. But we're not going to take the grace of God and say, now sin is okay and we're going to normalize it and we're going to teach it to our kids that this is healthy and good to do. Because that's perversion. Amen? All right. So here's a challenge, especially to our younger ones. Have I spent as much time exploring biblical truth about sex as I have being influenced by TV, movies, social media, songs, etc.? I don't think it's possible in some cases, okay, because that message is so, you know, we're inundated, okay? Here's a statistic. With Christian kids, for every 100 hours of receiving sexual agendas and messages from the world, they receive one second of biblical truth about sex. For every 100 hours, they get one second of truth. Jesus, help us. Jesus, help us all. Help the adults. We're in the same boat. Amen? We start to take on the narrative of the world so quickly. Amen? All right. Last scripture, Romans 1, 21 to 25. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. 
Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Do you realize that what you worship rules over you? So they worshiped the created thing and not the creator. That which we were made to rule over, we were made to rule over creation, is now ruling over us. And then if you go on and read later in that verse, it goes on to say, next thing you know, we're looking at each other saying, that bad thing you're doing, that's good. That's okay, that's approved of. So man looked at God back in the garden and said, I don't want you to be my source. I want to be my own source. We say, I want to use sex for what I want to use it for. God says, careful, I love you. This is very powerful and you don't want to toy with it. Amen? When you worship sex, you will become ruled over by it. When God isn't in his rightful place in our hearts, we begin to not see God as God, and we start to worship the creation. And then it's, it all boils down to that original lie. God is holding out on you. He's not that good. He just doesn't want you to have fun. You need to get your desires met outside of his presence and outside of his guidance. So be your own source. So I want us all to just close our eyes and bow our heads. Again, there is no shame on you. God is so loving. He is so compassionate and so understanding. There is no shame for you. We just bind shame away from this place. We bind condemnation away from this place. And I just thank you, Lord, that we are all just immersed in your love. I pray that you would make yourself so tangible for every person. Your love If you feel like you're being ruled over by things that you are supposed to rule over, you just need to go back to the source. We don't have to overcomplicate this. It's a matter of switching source. Making God your source again. Now, I have so much compassion for people who struggle in this area. I've had my struggles in this area. People who are struggling with addictions, with bombarding thoughts. Many of you were exposed to things that you should not have been at very young ages, and you have felt so much shame around it. And I just say shame off of you in Jesus' name. And I am so sorry that that door was open to you. And that it was open to you without explanation, without anyone speaking to you about what God intended. And I'm so sorry for how that was perverted or how that caused you pain. Even if you chose to open that door yourself, even if it was outright rebellion, I am so sorry that that happened to you. That was the enemy of your soul and that is not who you are. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. And you were created for so much more than you know. And God has so much compassion and so much mercy. And this is what his grace is for, to set you free into his true freedom. And he has that for you today, in this moment. 
You don't have to go through years and years of counseling. I'm a huge fan of counseling. You don't have to go through years and years and years of this and that. I'm a huge fan of all those things. I've done all those things. But God is doing things today. Some of you would say, it's too late for me. I've already messed this up. I can't go back. I'm telling you, there is restoration and there is healing for you. That is the beauty of grace, that he can reset you make you new, erase the past, give you new vision and fresh hope. So as we approach this, we're just going to take some time real quick, and we're just going to pray and talk to the Lord for a minute. So um, if if everyone um, could just repeat after me, just so it's a little bit simpler, okay? So even if this is not necessarily the conviction of your heart, let's just all say it out loud to encourage one another. So Jesus... Holy Spirit, Father God, I've made myself the source. I thought I knew better than you did. I want to put you back in your rightful place. I choose you as my source. I am choosing to trust you that your ways are higher They're better, and they're more fulfilling than my ways. I'm choosing to surrender my sexuality to you. I reject the lie and the narrative of the world that sex is meaningless, that I can use it however I want. I nail that to the cross in Jesus' name. And I break up with shame right now. Shame, you are not my friend. You have never helped me. And you don't help me to stay in purity. So get out of my life. Get out of my heart. Get away from my body. And get away from my spirit. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, I can tell you right now, God has already released forgiveness to you. But there's some of us that put put this shield up in our heart, or we stiff arm, we put our hand out, and we actually reject God's forgiveness. And I'm telling you, the same way that you make God your source in this area, you have to make him your source when it comes to forgiveness. And trust that when he forgives you, that he knows what he's doing there too. So I bless our spirits to rise up and to rise up in self-compassion and just repeat after me. Jesus, I receive your forgiveness. I thank you that I have a clean slate today. I forgive myself for the mistakes I've made, for the things that I didn't know, And even the things I did, I forgive myself. I release myself from judgment. And I cancel any debts right now. In Jesus' name. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
We're going to go after soul ties. So just quickly, if you know that there's some soul ties, if that resonated with you when I was talking about soul ties and different people, I just want you just in your mind's eye to put all of those people before God. Maybe it's images, whatever it is. Put all of those things before God. And just repeat after me. I break every ungodly soul tie I've ever made with other people with images, and even with technology. I take back what belongs to me, washed in the blood of Jesus, and I give back anything that belongs to anybody else, washed in the blood of Jesus. Thank you, you, Jesus, that you've made me new body, soul, and spirit. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you, God, for these amazing, wonderful, powerful people that you created to rule and reign over all of creation. I thank you that you created every single one for dominion. And I thank you that from this moment, you have restored their factory reset. And I thank you from this moment, Lord, as we've handled the real thing, the authentic thing from you all morning, that you would help us to recognize the counterfeit, that we would not buy into a lie. And we just thank you so much for it. I bless everything that was done this morning. I seal it in the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen.